You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan, and I'm joined today with Dr. Carl Venerstrom, professor here. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, And today we are going to talk about St. Cyril of Alexandria. Uh, So the series Catholic Saints, we are looking to the lives of saints, learning about them, learning about their legacy, uh, to to share with us inspiration for our time here on earth um, and to grow in sanctity ourselves. So St. Cyril of Alexandria, Feast day is January 28th. Can you give us some general overview about this saint? Yeah. Uh, set the stage. Absolutely. I think it's hard to uh, overestimate the importance of St. Cyril of Alexandria, especially for the church's teaching on Christ, so who, hmm. who Christ is. An important question. I think we can all agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he, little question. Yeah, this is, this is the big one. Who do you say that I am? Um, <laughs> So he was born in 376. Okay, so this is the fourth century. This is a big century for Christian doctrine. Hmm. Um, the the second ecumenical council, the Council of uh, uh, Constantinople, would be a few years after his birth. So okay. uh, born in an auspicious time, uh, then dying in 444. Okay. Um, so as I said, he's important for this teaching on Christ. We could say Christology. Um he was the uh, patriarch of Alexandria, uh, which is on the Nile Nile River there in the in the north of Egypt. So, an, an Egyptian Christian. Do we know was he um, born in Egypt? Yeah, himself? he was born in okay. Egypt, uh, a, a bit further south. But, but yes, yeah, he was okay. born in Egypt. Um, so, e- Egyptians uh, at this point in time spoke and wrote in Coptic. That was the sort of native language of Egypt. Uh, but then also Greek. Uh, so uh, most, if not all, of what we have from Cyril was written in Greek. I think sometimes translated into Coptic. Um, it's a very accurate language, so that's nice. Greek, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they, have, they have many words to choose from, so <laughs> it's good. Um, he uh, found himself embroiled in a controversy with Nestorius, which led to the Council of Ephesus, which we can sort of go into more detail later, okay. about the n- nature or natures of Christ. Um, this Council of Ephesus was in 431, uh, and it sided with Cyril after a long set of deliberations and house arrests and problems. And then the drama. Uh, and yeah, a lot of drama. <laughs> um, and then after even more controversy, the Council of Chalcedon met in 451, 20 years later, okay. after Cyril's death, and uh, in, in large part confirmed his teaching. So then for almost all Christians, he the, the, uh, he he became kind of the the most important for important figure for thinking through the sort of language and attitude in which we approach yes. uh, Christ theologically, philosophically, scripturally, this kind of thing. Okay, yeah. so one quick question: Was it really really within eighty an eighty year period? If I'm calculating it right, mm-hmm. that there were three different councils. If you said there is Constantinople, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ephesus. 
Calhoun? Yes, yes, so like 70 years, right? Yeah. Okay. And is it is it just because <laughs> it's this pivotal period, like fertile soil in the church where enough years mm. have passed of the apostolic age that they're, I don't know, why were there so many councils? Why are there so many councils? <laughs> <laughs> this period. This is a good question. Um, so to understand that, you sort of have to go back to the first ecumenical council, which is Nicaea. Um, and so the councils were called in most cases by the emperor. Um, he, he didn't necessarily have the idea of the controversies or the problems, but, uh, the emperors, uh, no matter their sort of religious piety wanted peace within the empire. And Mm. often these theological problems, uh, led to sort of political discord. Um, so there is a a kind of motivation on the part of the emperors to resolve these doctrinal questions. Um, That is helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think the, uh, the other element is then also related to the empire that, uh, the universal church has more lines of connections kind of than it ever had before. Um, and so, What's happening in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, matters to people in Egypt, Mm. uh, whereas it might not have mattered so much uh, 200 years prior. Uh. Sure. Okay. (coughs) So, yeah, that great growth and expansion, too, of the church goes and coincides with this. That's right, yeah. And just to state the obvious, he was a priest, he was a bishop. Yeah, Um, yeah, he was a bishop. So um, his uncle was the previous... Archbishop or Patriarch of Alexandria. Okay. This guy's name was Theophilus. Um, and Egyptians uh, from this period, it's like the historians that recount this, like love to talk about how Egyptians love to riot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also uh, his uncle Theophilus, so that's one thing. But the other thing is his uncle Theophilus, Theophilus um, was good at sort of wielding this power. So he'd get monks sort of stirred up in a frenzy. He also was a sort of uh, cataloger and condemner of heresies of many types, some which he seemed to have almost invented himself. Like, uh, for instance, he brought up a lot of spurious charges uh, against uh, St. John Chrysostom. uh, His uncle, the bishop. His uncle, the bishop, Theophilus. Okay. Uh, But actually... St. Cyril joined his uncle to go uh, to this Council of Oak, which condemned St. John Chrysostom. Obviously not permanently. Um, uh, It didn't stick, but um, yeah. Anyways, he comes from a sort of lineage of fiery people. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, exactly. And so uh, a couple of examples, he's often associated with, uh, let's just say one example, uh, with Hypatia. So Hypatia, by this time, there were not, uh, there was not the same prominence for pagan philosophers that there once had been in the Roman Empire, but still uh, there were some pagan philosophers that were highly respected and they had their sort of circle of pagan students. And one of these was Hypatia, who was, also, also a woman, which is very rare for a philosopher with a sort of following in a school. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> she 
had had some antagonisms and conflicts with Christians and a mob of monks and Christians hmm. and deacons and this kind of thing was stirred up and and they murdered her oh, and wow. sort of like tore her body to pieces. So she be, she became sort of this like pagan martyr figure and she's still seen as sort of like this uh, pagan hero, feminist saint or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah or a pagan them, hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there, there's a lot of different groups that try to sort of claim, claim her. her as her own. Yeah. Um, and it's actually quite clear that Cyril didn't have anything to do with this, or at least uh, there's no direct evidence tying to him, it, it to him. And then he was accused of many things he didn't do by the Nestorians in these later um, controversies, and they never accuse him of this. And if there had been a sort of hint of its plausibility, he mm-hmm. probably would have been implicated. Um, uh, but yeah, he also had a lot of conflicts with the Jews in, in Alexandria. Um, so he was no stranger to conflict anyways. Okay. Yes. Um, that makes and, sense. And yet, uh, and yet a saint. So. And still a saint. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a great. saint isn't just being nice. It's. I, I appreciate that. Mean people that. can become saints. So. That's hopeful. Yeah. That is great. Let's <laughs> have hope. Patron of yeah. mean people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. No, that it. Okay. Well, thank you for the kind of like, the context of. Of the time period of, yes, just that. Like, there are a lot of debates going on. Mm. Um, So where did Nestorius come in? Yeah, so Nestorius, um, I think first it's helpful to explain the the seas. So eventually there were sort of five uh, patriarchal or ecumenical seas anyways. Uh, The first three that were important uh, were Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria. So... sort of deep into Christian history, these were recognized as being patriarchal sees. That is, they were founded by apostles. Okay. So uh, Paul and Bar- Barnabas in Antioch, Peter in Rome, of course, and then St. Mark in, um, in uh, Alexandria. So apostles are people associated with apostles, uh, right? Yes. Um, then later added to this group of important sees and then called ecumenical sees, are Constantinople, mm-hmm. and then even later than that, Jerusalem. So you think Jerusalem would be maybe the first ones, but it is actually the last of the five to get added. That is uh, despite its importance as a holy site, Jerusalem um, didn't have the same sort of ecclesiastical importance as, as these others. But Constantinople gets added. So Constantinople is a city which is sort of made up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not by the standards of Antioch and Rome. It's not an ancient city. Hmm. Um, Constantine, who aptly named it after himself, uh, founded this city as a kind of new Rome. Hmm. Um, in, and it's uh, well placed in the Bosphorus for trade. And it's sort of this bridge between Europe and the, and the Middle East. Um, and... So the- like the five most important hubs of Christian or Catholic Christian activity. Yeah, that's right. Period. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 that's fine. Yeah. So Constantinople gets added because it's politically important. Okay. And then that means the Bishop of Constantinople has also ecclesiastical importance. So, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the five most important hubs, this is a good way to think about it. Um, so Nestorius ends up being the Bishop or the Archbishop, the Patriarch of Constantinople. Okay. And he's a monk. He's a very serious moral person. He's very well educated. He's very precise in his terminology. 
Um, <coughs> and he had spent most of his life around people like that hmm. um, in a monastic setting. And so when he becomes uh, the Archbishop of Constantinople, he has a hard time adjusting to sort of popular piety. Um, one, the, the, the most important example for this controversy is that he rejects uh, that people call Mary Theotokos. So this means the like bearer of God or the one who gives birth to God. Um, That's a strong claim. It is a strong <laughs> claim. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Being named after the Blessed Mother. I'm yeah. curious. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was upset about this because, uh, well, the, the the problem as he saw it was that this implied uh, that God could be passable. He could, like, suffer or be changed, and God is impassable, and he can't suffer, he can't change in Wait, what is, what is passable? What does that mean? Passable just means, um, yeah. Well, the word pathos in Greek can mean a lot of different things, but... It, it often, uh, I, I think the best way to understand it probably is just to be passive, to experience something mm-hmm. um, sort of outside of your will yes. or, um, yeah, to be moved rather than to move. Okay. Um, but it also associated with the, the emotions yes. and sort of unpredictabilities, these kinds of things. Um, so since God in himself can't be said to suffer passion because then he'd be imperfect. Um, there'd be sort of something outside of his control. Um, he can't, we can't say that God suffered or that God died or that God was born. And so to say that Mary gave birth to God is to say that God was like changed or um, that he suffered or okay. Okay. Uh, had passion. Um, so instead, Nestorius wanted to say, you can call her Christotokos, that's fine. Hmm. Christ means this like uh, this, this person that sort of unites um, the divine and the human. Um, and it's sort of fill-in to refer to both. Uh, so you can call her the Christotokos or you can, uh, say that she gave birth to Jesus, but you can't say that she gave birth to God. But this had, um, this tradition of calling her Theotokos was old. Hmm. Um, and for Cyril, it expressed something truly authentic about the Christian faith. And he actually relied, so his, one of his big points throughout his whole, career as a theologian was that there's a a single subject. So he wanted to avoid saying there's like uh, this divine person who does miracles, is raised from the dead, Mm -hmm. and then there's this human person who is crucified, is beaten, weeps, um, weeps in the garden, weeps for Lazarus. Um, and we call them both Christ, but it's really two, two persons or two sons, kind of. You want to say there's a single subject who does all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a kind of ingenious way, in multiple points in his writings, he depends on the Nicene Creed. Um, and so this really well expresses this idea of a single subject. So it's, we, we say that we believe, or I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And then it keeps referring to to the Son of God, um, and it says, for us men and for our salvation, he, he came down from heaven, that is the Son of God, 
and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. Okay, so the Son of God, the Son God was uh, born of the Virgin Mary and became man for our sake. He, that is the Son of God, was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he was okay. trying to argue his perspective. Yeah, that's right. Congruent with, with the, the creed. creed. As it was, yeah. But with Nestorius, you would have to say, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, and he did all these things, but then we also believe in the Son of God, mm. and he didn't do all those things, okay. right? You would have to divide them up. Mm -hmm. um, and so he gets criticized sometimes for like being sort of too mysterious or incoherent, but actually philosophically, it all holds together pretty well. Um, and the, the Nestorian perspective. Uh, or sorry, saints. Serials. Oh, yeah, the serials, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this becomes very important at Ephesus. Uh, yeah. Everyone's kept under house arrest for like a year. There's all these controversies <laughs> with the emperor. Okay. And people are sort of like sneaking out letters and like the cane of a beggar who's like walking out of the city. All this kind of like these crazy <laughs> so stories. Um, and so it does give you some... Yeah. Um, uh, humility and yes. uh, patience with the controversies that happen now. It's like... It's true. This and worse was happening. Like yes. all these intrigues and, and rivalries and... More important topics. Like the most important Yeah, topics. that's right. <laughs> okay, so just to recap, yeah. Nestorian was really trying to divide like the, the man part, the humanity part um, yeah. from Jesus and only attributing to Mary that she's the mother of... of Christ. Christ as yeah. human, yeah. Um, not mother of Christ as God. Yeah. And then St. Cyril in his philosophical re-clarity, clarification, I guess, is really trying to um, emphasize the unity of his That's humanity right. and yeah. divinity. All, all for the purpose of salvation, that mm -hmm. we can't be saved unless we're saved by God, and we can't be saved by God unless yeah. Christ is actually God, is we're, the word. Since we're in 2023, you know, we so are clear on the church's teachings, but did, were there a lot of followers of Nestorius yeah. at this time period? Like, was he making a lot of headway in um He did traction? get a decent number of adherents, um, and especially after he died. So there was the Council of Ephesus, but then again, the Council of Chalcedon. After Chalcedon, there were people who took a sort of Nestorian route um, they weren't following him personally because he was dead, but they yeah. sort of followed his followers and followed his teachings and the teachings of others associated with him. Okay. So these were especially Christians in the Far East. So the Syriac Church of the East, this is a church that went all the way to China, actually. Um, and uh, within Catholicism, uh, Chaldean Catholics are... Uh, people who belong to the Syriac Church of the East that then uh, uh, entered uh, communion with Rome eventually. Um, but, okay. But this church initially was following <coughs> Nestorian, Nestorianism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At least roughly speaking. Okay. Yeah. So they and had like a big patrimony and uh, a, a lot of Christians were Nestorians or at least sort of along these lines for many hundreds of years and still okay. today they still exist today yeah okay but the Chalci Chal Chal chalcedonians, chalcedonians yeah are in union with rome yeah we're 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 chalcedonians so. okay good yeah. to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're a chalcedonian <laughs> that's interesting yeah 
Okay. Well, so he was a he a Cherokee fighter. Um, yeah. It's, it seems like one of the most important things he was known for is really yeah, fighting that's the right. Heretic. Yeah, he's called the pillar of the faith and the seal of all the fathers. Wow. So, yeah. Pillar of the faith. Was he? Um, do we know what he specifically is a patron of? That I'm not exactly fighting sure. Her- yeah, her- fighting heresy. Yeah, fighting heresy, maybe. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, he didn't have. There wasn't like a lot of devotion to him in the West until like the late 19th century. But he's probably still a patron of something. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. I have to look it up. But, and yeah. are there any other? I don't know, noteworthy. I'm lots of noteworthy things about his life, but other important details that you think are worth mentioning um or does that kind of paint a, a I, broad picture I, I think that 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 gives you the the, the, the main yes. the main bits yeah okay well yeah. as you think about his life i my last question is um when you think of saint cyril what what are some of his Christ, christocentric qualities or what were yeah qualities mm. um when you're thinking about the way he lived his life in his sanctity and his in his um vocation that really emulated jesus Besides fighting for his, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one element would be an insight into the simple faith of believers. Um, so he obviously had the intellect to engage in really complex theological debates, but he also had the sort of sensitivity to. Uh, to, to look for insight from the way common people worship. Um, so yeah. he he had a kind of humility about him in, in that way. Yes. So, yeah, and it's nice because that, that humility is paired with his kind of courage and, hmm. uh, I don't know, he just didn't care what people thought about him necessarily. So yes. uh, he was fiery and... Could be harsh, but then also had this this, this sensitivity and, hu- and humility. Yeah. That balance. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Thanks yeah. for joining us on this episode of Catholic Saints and Saint Cyril of Alexandria. Pray for us. Thank you. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.